back universe to the SFBCPC S1. That's an abbreve for Sci-Fi Book Club Podcast Season 1. On today's ep, we'll be talking about Orcs and Crake, written by Margaret Atwood in Earth Year 2003. I'm your host, Brent Aldrich, and with me as always, via holographic projection, it's John Love. Hi, John. Hi, as always. I was, uh, you'll pardon me, you might hear, hear some weird mouth noises. I hate mouth I, noises. I, mean, I am eating a bucket of chicky knobs, so there's that. Okay. I apologize, universe, but I am... Very hungry. Just having a moment of podcast gold here at the front end while exactly. you while you eat. I figure it's gonna it's gonna happen at some point. We might as well do it at the the very the very beginning of the podcast. Early and often, that's what I say. Yeah. We also just signed a contract with uh, Chicky Knobs to anytime the the word Chicky Knobs is mentioned, have a short moment of podcast gold immediately following. So. And we're back. Thank you. Well, I guess you already yeah, let's see. You already told me what you're eating. Uh, yep. we already we already had some podcast gold. Um, I don't I don't really know what's left to do. Let's wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> yo, yo, yo. Chicken knobs. Yep. Yep. Worst wraps ever. <laughs> So we've had the worst wraps ever. That was the only other thing on my list for Check. things to accomplish today. All right. All right. And uh, I suppose uh, we can go ahead and tell everyone now it's time. You can stop listening to the podcast. Uh, turn it off. So Exactly. Get it okay. over with. Okay. We've done that. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, it seems like that's about it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Worms or Dyson. Uh, this week on Seven Worms for Dyson, Dyson is still not here, so we have seven wriggling worms with no one to eat them. They're so Saddest they are story. They're so wriggling. Dyson is still missing. We just recently put his face on milk cartons, uh, on sweet tea cartons, tea cartons, on chicken knobs. Just, just, just chicken knobs that look like contract. We have a contract. Cartons, oh, cartons. I, I, I thought I, I have a collection of chicky knobs that just look like Dyson a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so just remind yes, me of yeah. him for sure. Of all of your possessions, that's the one that I would like to steal. Yeah, well, collection of Dyson-shaped chicky knobs. I'm holding them. I see you over there. Fortunately, my incorporeal hands can only hold. My ethereal chicken knobs on my end of yeah. the holographic projection and not the ones on yours. Exactly, exactly. Stuff out here. That's what I'm counting on. All right. So, yeah, anyways, getting into this book. Uh, I was about to say, what do you think? But that sounds dangerously close to getting into rating systems. And yeah. It's much too early for that. Exactly. I don't know. I, I, I was trying to decide what I want to say about this uh, up front. I will say, first of all, 
God, are we already – I mean, we've been doing everything early, but are we already trying to get into content this early as well? <laughs> that, no, that is unprecedented. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll say I like this book a whole lot. Um, mm-hmm. It's been a couple weeks since I actually read it, so I'm – Counting on you to remember all the fine details, but um, uh, no, I, I don't yeah. remember any of the major story arcs and just fine details. So. <laughs> Good, right? Well, I remember just story arcs and no fine details. Whoa! Yin and Yang situation. Yeah, chocolate in my peanut butter. The gumballs to my cinnamon rolls. Yeah, uh, as people say. Yeah, pretty common thing. Mm-hmm. In your future universe, yeah, sand to my worms, like the ratings to your system. Anyways, what were you saying? Um, I don't know. I like I, I like this book a lot. Uh, I was I was totally surprised because it was one that I didn't know a thing about. Really, uh, it was it was really a little bit of just um, a, a whim to read this one. So I did not know what I was getting into. On the cover of my copy, there's a, a pig, and I I don't really know or like animals, but what, what pretty that, sure babe? that's what that is. Yeah, babe. Right. Goes to New York? Babe, Hollywood? Babe Hollywood. Hollywood. Ernest Scared Stupid. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. <laughs> the Good Smith goes to Washington? Uh, yeah, yeah. That works. Uh Anyway, the cover of, of my book had a picture of uh, two naked ladies on it. Ooh. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it actually, so it looked like a mirror, uh, mirrored photo. Uh-huh. Um, but unfortunately, it kind of um, spliced those two bodies together when it mirrored it. So it kind of looked like conjoined twins, which unfortunately, as you know, is one one creature with four legs. So that's, that was pretty upsetting. Okay. I mean, I guess this is, it's technically, I guess this pig is naked, but, and you can only see two of its legs. Well, then he's my favorite pig of all time. As far as I know, that's just a pig's head with two legs, which is the best type of pig. Nice. That's what pigoons look like. Pigoon. What'd you say those worms were doing earlier? Wriggling? Yes. Wriggling. I asked for a reason, not just because I love adjectives or verbs. Looks like <laughs> there's a wriggling in the in the shadows. <laughs> Can you see that? I hear the wriggling seems not laughing. I don't know what's going on here. It's weird. Let me scamper over there and have a look. What me? What what? Who who what's what's that? What's it? What's that now? Who's it? What's it? Hi. What? Hi there. Hello. <laughs> Who are you? What are you doing here? Um, so I actually Look. got here last week. I think I was supposed to tell somebody, but uh, I didn't know who to tell. So just kind of been here. Rig- uh, a wriggling. <laughs> wriggling in the dark. <laughs> last week, you say? Yeah, I won a contest, and my prize was supposed to be to explore this uh, ship. And... Uh, yeah, they dropped me off, and my mom waved goodbye, and just, you know, no one was here. So I just kind of been hanging out, waiting for someone to show me around, I guess. I mean, I'm sure at some point we had a Corellan's sweet tea 
Sweetest Tea in the Galaxy sip uh, contest of some sort. Right. So if I'm you, assuming, I mean, that must be the tie-in. Right. Did you find the the, the, the one with the uh, the gumball at the bottom, the sweet tea with the just a little kind of dissolved gumball floating in the bottom? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And I had to drink a lot of sweet tea to find that. It was it was a journey, but I knew it would be worth it. And so far, I haven't been disappointed, but I have been really lonely. So, well, where, where are you actually hiding? I, I mean, I'm here pretty much all the time, but I, I didn't see you until you just started wriggling so, uh, so mightily. I, I didn't know you were real. I thought you were just uh, like a TV screen or something, like uh, a projection, uh, holographic projection. Ever yeah. heard of it? Yeah, I mean, we have those at home, but they don't, you know, they're not real. They don't talk back or anything, so I'm kind of... Oh, oh, I'll talk oh he talks back. <laughs> That's kind of my thing, actually. Turns out. Did you, uh, did you, see, did you see Dyson by chance? No, I, I didn't. I've heard his name thrown around a lot, but I That's... I really was confused. I thought you were talking about a vacuum cleaner or something. I just, I don't get all gotcha. y'all's... Mm. We were yeah, hollering. Was- we were hollering his name a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, not it's not necessarily the case, but since you are on the ship uh, and this was a prize, uh, probably through, again, Corell and Sweet Tea, Sweetest Tea in the Galaxy, sip. And we're back. And we're back. Um, was did, did you know? I mean, have you listened to the podcast before? Did you know anything about what was happening here? Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan. That's... That's why I did the competition so that I could come see what this is all about. Oh wow! So yeah. So so I'm sure you're just as upset about not finding Dyson as we are. Then that he's still not here. You couldn't even find him. Yeah, I didn't put the two and two together earlier, but now that I realize what you meant when you were yelling Dyson, mm-hmm. you know, I thought you were trying to clean the place, and you're like well, oh, Dyson, give me a Dyson. It's kind of messy here. It's a now pit. I get it. Well, I think we do have a custodian, but I haven't seen him around for a while either. Uh-uh. And uh, our Roomba's been out of batteries for a long time. So. Yeah, and I and I assume that you are you're the one writing all those fan letters to Dyson. Uh, John, I have never gotten any, but uh, uh, Dyson gets oh. a, a, a lot. Let's say they must have gotten lost in the mail. I've most definitely sent uh, fan letters to both of you. I mean, yes, many many a fan letter has been wow. sent. You hear I that, John? Like it's, it's heartwarming. I feel like Dyson is probably just somehow infiltrated the intergalactic mail system and is specifically filtering out our fan letters so that he could have the most. Mm-hmm. That's the only explanation for it. Probably where he's been for months, months, nay, years. <laughs> exactly. That Dyson. Hey, here's something pretty neat. When I... Uh... Picked up, picked up this copy of the book off the shelf, as I say, not really knowing what it was. Um, so I opened it, and I found uh, this inside, a little postcard, which I was hoping was fan mail. And I, it looked like it was signed by old Margaret Atwood, um, but, but it's, it's definitely not a real signature, so I was like, a oh, bummer. But so then, shortly thereafter, I just opened the inside cover, and there was this. Which in oh, fact wow. is is I believe an actual signature for Dustin. <laughs> Best wishes, Margaret Atwood. Man, do you think she just misspelled Dyson? Yeah, probably. God, I mean, we do get a lot of 
uh, authors trying to send us their sci-fi novels because the podcast is such a raging success mm-hmm. that they, uh, you know, they get Huge the old SFBC PC bump. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They want that bump. That's right. I mean, which I mean, that's that speaks to the fact that neither of us had really heard of. Well, heard of, but maybe not. This book didn't have quite the stature of some of the books we've read p- previously. Um, it's reputation didn't precede it. So yeah, it was, it was nice going into something kind of blind and, and sort of figuring out as we went, went along, which is we've not really had that experience yet. I mean, a lot yeah. of the stuff we read the books or seen the movies for first and all that. So, so yeah, what, what a treat. That bump, that bump, that SFBC PC bump. <laughs> exactly. That's what they say. <laughs> oh, that's what those authors say. <laughs> It's true. Intergalactic Authors Guild. That's their theme song. So, uh, Stranger, winner, winner. Did did do we did, did you tell us what your name was? Or are you just? I don't, I don't think you asked. Just a winner. Uh, no, we're not really good at this. We're yeah. we're really bad. That's why I've been wandering this ship looking for people the whole time and haven't found anyone. Nobody, just no one's paying attention to. They're very in the zone, which I love as a fan. I love how in the zone you are on your podcast. So I'm just watching and in life in awe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, uh, All right. Well, if you just want to sit quiet there and uh, not say anything the rest of the podcast, that'd be great. I'd love to. Is there, do y'all have take... popcorn here? Uh, John's usually munching on some popcorn. Yeah, but it's on my side of my um, holographic projection. So yeah. you have to get to where I am, which I have not – Disclosed. Yeah. So, mm. unfortunately, no. Maybe the next uh, competition contest will have a prize that takes us to your we'll whereabouts. See, we'll see. I am liking these chicky knobs. Yikes. And maybe they'll have some sort of contest at some point in time. We'll see. Okay. So, all right. Um, you put me in an awkward spot. Now I feel like I'm being pressured to, to be hospitable. Stranger, <laughs> reveal yourself. <laughs> uh, w- would you care, or have you per- perchance read uh, the book Orcs and Crake by Margaret Atwood? I actually have. It's it's been a while, um, about you know six hundred years ago or so. But I I did I I read it before, and it, yeah, it's, it was great. Interesting. Six hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. What were you doing about 600 years ago? 600 years ago, I was in grade school. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Mrs. Adams was my teacher. Uh, she loved Margaret Atwood. I mean, I think they might have known each other in a past life or something, but she just really, really liked Margaret Atwood. So we read a lot. We read a lot of her books, actually. Did she like or did she like like her? Um, I'm not one to speculate. Hmm. Um, okay. Well, uh, in, in that case, if you're into this sort of stuff, you know, jump, jump in there if you want to. And otherwise me and John will just probably, uh, ruin this book. So more or less, it's kind of what we do. It's kind of our thing. Y'all, y'all cannot ruin a book review. I have never seen it happen in all of my 600,000 years of watching. 600,000 years, you say? What were you doing 600,000 years ago? Whatever your race is, which I can't tell exactly, it must have a very long latency period until you, you know, become 
a fully grown well, man or woman or other. Before you go to grade school, even. Yeah. Or did you just, I don't know, did you just choose not to go to grade school? You were too... Did you do, uh, yeah, a, uh, you know, a returning student to grade school? I'm, I'm actually really confused by your questions. Uh, grade, grade school is the final lap, so to speak, in the academia. In the old a- academic race, as they say. Exactly. Okay. Um, so, mm-hmm. I mean, we're most familiar with the uh, Earth system because it's what we've been studying and reading so much about. So, can, mm-hmm. yeah, where, I mean, whereabouts do you come from? Yeah, I, I think Earth is overrated. You know, I don't mean that in a bad way, but old statement. Old Inglenook is is a happening. It's it's really the best place as far as I'm concerned. So it's it's great that so many people are interested in Earth, but I I don't really get the allure. I guess. Well, I mean, you've read books by a Canadian author from Earth. Yeah, um, how, how these Inglenook authors holding up. If that if they, they get that right, that's where you're from, Inglenook. Yeah, I've been waiting for y'all to review an Inglenook uh, author, but you haven't. An so. Inglebook. Yes, yes, that is what they're called. I figured take an Ingle look at an Inglebook. I just got a pretty severe Ingle look. I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, who's the best Ingle Inglenookian author? Probably George Brown. What's his deal? Um, he's really interesting. He writes with his thumbs, just just both of his thumbs. Like they your pants? Yeah. Thumbs. No, I mean he, he writes these very extensive novels, um, but you know with his thumbs. So he he has two thumbs on top and then two thumbs on bottom. How many legs does he have? Well, that depends on how you define legs. I feel like it's pretty clear. <laughs> I, I know how you feel about legs, and so I don't want to throw him. Don't call under. into question my entire philosophy. Just tell me how many legs he has. Enough legs to be a fantastic writer. I don't. And it better be two. I don't, I don't You're to hear first, universe. <laughs> Anyways, enough about George Brown. Let's get back into Margaret. Okay. Dear Margaret, that's, that's all I have to say. Okay. So I like your book. Good job. Yeah, I like um, this book a lot. Um, I'm going to. Read the last page? I mean, that's a thing that we do, right? We have done that often in the past, which the thing I like about this book, well, at least as far as this bit is concerned, is that it's really not going to spoil a whole lot because it's a big cliffhanger and it doesn't give you a lot of other information. So, yeah, let's get that last page going. All right. Uh, Last page in my copy. Audiobook. It's hard to know. Oh, Jimmy, you were so funny. Don't let me down. From habit, he lifts his watch. It shows him its blank face. Zero hour, Snowman thinks. Time to go. The end. And that's the last page of Orcs and Crake. Now, as you were saying, John, I will just jump in here because I I really thought, like, this narrative was crazy. Just just because there were, like, what, three different storylines maybe happening just simultaneously, and it would just cut back and forth. And so without warning not even like a chapter to chapter break um like there are some other books that we've read that it reminded me of but i don't don't think we've read any that were structured quite like this with the like jumps in time jumps in characters like on and on so it, it really was one i felt like it took me a minute to get into it because it was just like i like who's snowman who's jimmy who's craig who's orcs et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, but then, like I said, once I was into it, I, I really did love this book. Yeah, I, uh, I totally agree. Um, yeah, it was fairly well. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think how many storylines there were going on. It's all pretty much from the perspective of Jimmy slash snowman, uh, who's the main character. Um, two, the two main storylines, I guess, are, you know, his sort of current day to day life situation, um, as snowman. Um, tending the Crakers, which we talk about in a bit. And the other storyline is pretty much just how, I mean, it really is just kind of just how he got to where he is now or, or how Earth got to the way that it is at that point, um, which inside of that particular timeline, there's a ton of jumps around. But the, the other sort of main storyline, him as Snowman, uh, which is the most current timeline uh, or storyline, goes pretty much in order. It seems like, but yeah, there's a lot of jumps back and forth. So structurally, this was, yeah, a really complicated but also interesting book, which is strange because I feel like it really was kind of a page turner. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, despite all of those uh, sort of contextual hurdles, it really was a pretty quick uh, and easy read, um, which was which was nice. Mm-hmm. It's tough to, like, marry those two things, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 really, I mean, I think partly as you were saying, really being like a a page turner. I think like it was funny, and it was like the structure of even a sentence or a paragraph would like it would almost be like the uh, just an unknown narrator, but then it would turn into like snowman's thoughts, and it would. There was at one point when it like cut off a sentence almost, where it was like, oh, now we're inside snowman's thoughts. And he's second-guessing language, for instance. And so just hugely self-aware that way in terms of how the thing was written. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I need to address something, too, because um, are, have you still – have you said your name yet? I was just – yeah. I feel like we still haven't got there. I'm just sitting here in awe. Oh, hey, John, I found the uh, – here, I found this crumpled up piece of paper on the floor that has the, uh, you know what, uh, just in this pile of Carolyn's sweet tea – uh, the the instructional piles. Yeah. Well, the, the 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 mess, the pile. What we were supposed to read for the winner. Let me just unfold that. The oh, con- wow, this is very exciting. I was waiting for my formal recognition, and now I find contest me. winner. Yeah. Here it is. Um, oh, John, we both have lines, so you'll you're gonna have to look over here and look at it too. Oh, I I start. Um, it looks okay. like it goes back and forth. Congratulations. Insert name here. You've Ray, won. It's it's Ray. Sorry. We got a name, ladies and gentlemen. Come again. Continue, continue, please. We got a name. I'm still reading this. I'm reading the sheet. I'm still reading the sheet right now. This is very complicated. Why is it in first person? Why is it internal thoughts for me now? This is very strange. Hi, Ray. We knew your name the whole time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Sorry we didn't see you earlier. Did you see Seven Worms for Dyson that bit? I know you loved it. Thanks. Bye. See ya. Love, Dyson. You get to spend five nights in the luxury suites aboard the pod where the SFBCPC award-winning podcast is taped live weekly. Cool, huh? Accommodations include not a time cage. We might clean your room. Carolyn's sweet tea. All you can drink. And anything you can find just lying around. Just take it. Just take it. Just take it, you dummy. 
love Corellan Sweet Tea staff in accordance with Dyson's wishes and wills. Amen. Amen. Wow, that was beautiful. I feel very honored uh, to have won the award. How how long do I get to give my speech? Is this uh, is that in that? How long are the podcasts usually? Uh, it says here you get up to and to not exceed two hours. Okay, oh, so yeah, wow. go ahead. Well, I kind of started a long time ago when y'all were not listening, so I, I don't want to take all of your time. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm very honored to be here, and this is something I've been looking forward to for the last 400 years or so, and. Um, yeah, time flies when you're having fun. So thank you for the opportunity. I won't let you down. Well, well welcome to the pod, Ray. Truly that's inspirational. Not, that's not in the, we're done reading now. That's that's just genuine from well, you. It's, it's funny, though. It was written here. What? <laughs> I, I feel like, because I didn't, I mean, I didn't read that beforehand. But it sounded like Dyson has a much bigger role in all this than we thought. Wow. So interesting. Man, totally interesting. Anyways, back to the book. I will say, actually, I have more notes on this book than on any other one that we've read as well, um, which is maybe good. Maybe it's just going to be confusing, though. Um, That's excellent because I have about as many as i normally do which is usually zero yeah all right i'm slightly i'm slightly above that curve okay just just yeah i feel like one thing that i need to address because um my or the reality of holographic projections themselves was called into question earlier by our guest but i think there is kind of a theme of something like that uh, you know kind of a, a pretty subtle sub theme um to to this book in a big way uh because Galaxy, the book, uh, in a big way, talks about what's well, near future Earth from Margaret Atwood's time, where everything is sort of handmade, or, or um, it's really everything's kind of constructed and scientifically engineered to be sort of maximally efficient. And uh, the reality of a lot of those things, I think, comes into question. Like one of the early moments, for instance was a chess game between Jimmy and Craig. Uh, I was going to audiobook it, but I can't find that exact part. So anyways, but they basically would, would be on their computers sitting there with one another uh, playing off, playing against one another in chess uh, instead of using a real chess board. And Jimmy at one point says, hey, why don't we use the real one? Uh, and Craig kind of calls into question what is more real about sort of the physical chessboard in the room versus the one that they're playing on their computers because the chessboard, he says, is basically in their minds anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that was kind of a an interesting, um, the first moment of that that I really saw where reality itself is kind of both questionable and also sort of constructible mm-hmm. in a certain way. So. Yeah, and, and actually, I, I do at least, I don't have that example, but I do have a couple others marked that, where I, I, I definitely made some notes that are very similar. Um, so at one point, I think this is when Jimmy goes to visit Craig at Watson Creek, where he's studying for the first time, and they see the things like 
the the Wolvogs, they see these huge butterflies that have been, you know, in, engineered essentially. And Jimmy asks if those butterflies, like, are they new? And um, and Craig says, quote, you mean, did they occur in nature or were they created by the hand of man? In other words, are they real or fake? Uh, and then they, and then, you know, he gives this example, like, af- after a thing happens, that's what they look like in real time. So they're real, like, regardless, right? Like, they're real. Um, mm-hmm. l- later on, there's almost the opposite, like, way later when uh, Jimmy is going into the plebe lands for the first time and he's just checking stuff out. And there's this line in there where he, that says, there's so much to see, audiobook, and there were there were real tramps, real beggar women, just like the old TV musicals. And I thought that that line was so good that, um, you, you know, for him and others who had, like, grown up on this compound – and had never seen the Plebelands, which is like where the the rest of us live. Um, seeing a tramp, your only reference is like uh, is a musical uh, that you've seen. And, and so, the what's real in that case? Well, the only reference so far has been a musical, and like that's the real thing. And so now you see one in person. Uh, I, I don't know. And so, like it, it's legitimized by having been in a musical, for sure. Yeah, there's there's also like the um, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's really kind of where the two storylines uh, split off in a big way is that Snowman um, has to live in a world where I mean, there really is no simulation of anything anymore. Everything is dangerous. Everything, you know, is something you have to take account of. You can't just look at anything um, and not sort of recognize the circumstances both for it and for you Um, versus before that, you know, they talked about all the stuff they would watch on the, the internets and uh, which all, you know, there are pretty grotesque things that they would be looking at, um, but they didn't really understand the stakes because they couldn't, and they weren't really there. They they didn't have to really sort of understand or, or take the suffering that was in front of them, like in, in deep uh, because it was just an image or, or something like that. So, so yeah, that's, it's, I think a definite, like really interesting kind of sub theme to the whole book for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think like to kind of jump into the even like longer or broader view is that um, when things start to come undone and and when we found out that, you know, essentially the mass illness that wipes out most of humankind has effectively been engineered by Crake. You know, at that point, on the one hand, you could say, well, it's very real. Very real people are dying, getting sick, et cetera, et cetera. But by another turn, you could say, well, like this is this is man-made, right? This is, uh, this is something that was created in a lab uh, mm-hmm. and, and engineered to cause everyone to get very ill and die um but the ramifications are very very real and so at that point like who cares if this is if this is real or fake if this is man-made or natural real people Mm -hmm. are dying um yeah which is kind of interesting because craig didn't have to live to see that happen you know he as they were growing up there was video games he played where he kind of took on this role where he would 
do different things, um, you know, to, to kill different species or create different species and play the role of God. And he really created or um, was the mastermind behind this whole plot and did all of the tasks he would have to do in order to create um, the wheel spinning. And then he's gone when it starts. So in a way, I'm sure that as he's creating this destructive plot, it it probably didn't seem very real to him either. And he didn't have to live through it and see kind of what really happened at the end of it. So, Right. Which could be, I mean, one of the questions there is probably, you know, did Craig uh, know that Jimmy was going to shoot him when, you know, because I don't think that it didn't seem like he was going to kill himself. And it seemed like he, he engineered everything so kind of, specifically that he almost had to have known that that would have gotten the sort of appropriate reaction of Jimmy if, if he didn't die from the sickness itself. But, but he, I don't know. I don't know. It's just just interesting what happened at that kind of crucial moment. That that is interesting. Um, And as you were just saying too, you know, um, thought of it necessarily like um, if as Craig, let's say deep into this scheme that maybe that starts in games or starts on lines with like avatars, was there a point at which it, it became really real, like, you know, very real. And, and that's the point which like, yeah, you don't really want to live and see that, um, you know, like, was there a threshold that he crossed in his own thinking about like this, this, that shifted from, from something that happened in virtual space and with, with like an online avatar to a very real thing. Like I really hadn't thought about that distinction exactly. Um, but he was always also the one always saying like, there is, there isn't a difference. And so what you do in one world affects the other. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I mean, this is something that would be tough. I mean, we could talk about this probably for the rest of the podcast if we wanted to, but uh, something that'd be really tough to probably kind of dig into was exactly what Craig's sort of end goal was, mm-hmm. you know, cause he ended up engineering this, this race that would be, uh, or this species that would be, um, sort of supremely adapted to the environment that they had around them and would, you know, help the world help them in a certain way. But, you know, to, to get them to be the dominant species or whatever, he had to take out the current dominant species. But then why, I don't know. I mean, I guess what he actually wanted to see happen is maybe one of the questions. Um, but then the interesting thing I thought was when, we saw the Krakers starting to take on some attributes that that Crake probably didn't want them to have, you know, questioning things too much and um, I don't know, like kind of stupid bravery or I don't know, like just things that, that weren't perfectly adapted in the way that Crake had set them up to be. Yeah. That's well, that was kind of interesting. As well. Yeah. Just, well, two things there actually, I mean, one, just again, back to those like video games, transitioning, whatever. There is a moment later on when Snowman is going back to the complex when he's on that mission to go get stuff. And I think he's back there at that point. And there's just this, I think, internal line that says he, Jimmy, had never wanted to hurt anyone, at least not in real space time, essentially. Um, which I thought was interesting and maybe a difference mm-hmm. from Craig. Um, but yeah, that second point that you just said, the with the Krakers, the thing in particular, and yeah, this is, I think, what started to get super interesting for me, 
the point at which they start to take on like uh, symbolism and 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 making. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There, I know that there's one line that I want to find in particular, but making meaning out of Im- images, symbolisms, essentially when they start creating mythology um, mm-hmm. themselves, that for me is one of the really interesting parts of the whole book is is how like starting over when Snowman is essentially creating a mythology, um, get, basically he's giving meaning to the world that maybe doesn't have one. Oh, there's a yeah, line in here. Here it is. This part, when Craig is explaining to Jimmy for the first time what he's working on, this this new, like, super breed, he asks, can they speak? And Craig says, like, yeah, sure. And then the next question he asks is, do they make jokes? Um, and Craig says, no. Uh, for jokes, you need a certain edge, a little malice. Um, he says, I think we've I think we've managed to do away with jokes. And uh, I thought that to me it was just like perfect, you know, mm-hmm. because it's it is it requires a certain abstraction and definitely it, it well yeah it takes like a willingness um, to I guess want to fudge with language a little bit and I mean that's the interesting things with the young Crakers who come up to Jimmy and want like everything explained and I once something I thought was interesting as far as that goes too was. Jimmy would shy away from using certain terms just because he knew he had to exp- had to explain them, and then to explain them he can't use any of the references that he already knows. So, yeah, it just kind of goes on and on like a s- snowball down the hill, which is yeah, I think that's pretty interesting as well. But yeah, it, they they do they just kind of want to have the clearest sense of what language means, and so and jokes kind of can't really function on that level mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, so. right? Yeah, because if you have to explain a joke, it's not funny, right? I mean, like, simple as that. And Craig wanted to do away with it because there's no survival reason for having the ability to make jokes, or so he thought. Um, I would I would say there's actually a lot of reasons why having a sense of humor can help a species live longer, um, especially when you think about dealing with really traumatic situations in ways humor can help give you the will to go on. <laughs> Even yeah. when you are physically and mentally broken down, and that was something that Craig didn't really consider. Um, yeah, he sort of just wanted to deal with the traumatic situations, like do away with them, and then he won't have. There won't be a reason to to need to get over them because there uh-huh. won't be them in the first place. But yeah, I mean, you can't you can't see every contingency plan, so it was probably pretty foolish of him on that level. Right, and the Krakers drop dead when they're thirty. Like, there's. Like that's that's it, and so like you're not gonna be well, and they they don't know what's coming, and apparently like nobody cares or whatever, but or no no none of them had died yet, so I guess that was still an, an open question, um, but yeah, you wonder like when the first one of them drops dead, um, what do you do with that? Um, Will there be tombstones? Yeah, who knows? Questions about what happens after life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Time. Yeah, that actually. So, well, this is the first book of a trilogy, yes. correct? True. So, yeah, I mean, th- there are a lot of those sorts of questions, which I'm sure that uh, Margaret Atwood will deal with in uh, in the later books for sure. So, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely interested to see kind of where it goes from here, especially mm-hmm. because as you read the, on the last page, it's a big cliffhanger. Like, yeah, what's going to happen? 
I, I really have a, a question that's been kind of, um, I don't know, nagging at me this whole time. Uh, I always thought Margaret was a female name in Earth names. Is that true? Or true. is Margaret a name for both sexes on Earth? Um, as I, far as we know, I can neither confirm nor deny that it could be used for both and all sexes and genders. But, a but based on your author's photo, I already said her. She's got a great set of hair. As as I was reading this, and I remember this very distinctly, even though it was many years ago, um, I felt like it was being told by a male Earth author. And it took me a long time before I ever felt like it was really coming from that a female author was telling the story. And even after the book was finished, I'm still a little unsure. Would you, do you, if you may, if you have some, like, if you can say more about that, I think that's so interesting because it's um, pretty sure it's a, it's a lady. Yeah. It's, it's told from the point of view of a dude and specifically mostly like a 13 year old. Um, it, it was hilarious and also gross in the way that I remember being gross uh, as a youngling and uh you know i i was reading this and just thinking like oh my gosh this is it's putting down on paper what i was thinking as in seventh grade uh, which is different than your grade school i understand but uh you know uh it was i, I so i thought that was hilarious but also very interesting because yeah like the one main uh female role in this is works and she has a backstory but she doesn't actually i would say she's not nearly as like fleshed out as a character as like jimmy snowman um or even craig really maybe i don't know yeah oryx herself is just a prop or comes across as just a prop and maybe that was intentional um it's the first uh, character that jimmy and craig really fall for or get these very real feelings they think at least that they're very real feelings um, and in a way, we never learn enough about Oryx that we really, you know, know anything about her as a person with her own mind and her own thoughts and her own opinions. And um, so it's kind of on a very surface level, which maybe goes back to reality and the fact that they were um, both so into maybe like the idea of things as opposed to getting down into the substance. Um, and they both re- remember her or watching her as a child when she was on these films and she was on the internet. And so maybe in a way that was comforting for both of them because they did spend so many hours watching this semi real fake uh, footage. And I, but, but there weren't really any female characters that were fleshed out. His mother may be the only one. And even she turned on him in a way and left him abandoned. So it was just, it was very interesting if this was written by a female Earth author, it's probably one of the very few books I've read where she actually convinced me she was a male author. Oof, um, I'm glad you're here. It's not just me and John, because uh, that's good stuff. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, the idea that that she is like, um, that Orcs is, is really just like a, their idea of like, a, a woman frankly or like you know especially again when you're like prepubescent even um man that's interesting i think really accurate um 
I, gosh, ugh, oof, woof. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I have to address one thing real quick. Um, yeah. So you said you were grossest as a youngling. Yeah. But if I remember correctly, you've you've sort of gotten more legs as you've gotten older. True. So I'm going to disagree with that statement. But anyways, uh, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, as a young lady, um, I just ha- I had your uh, I had your you know had had uh, a pair. Okay, great. That's all I needed to know. Yeah. Um. But I think, I mean, as far as why they find, because yeah, I, I agree. Like Oryx is definitely not fleshed out, even as much as Crake, and not even close. And uh, and Crake is still like a fairly he has a huge role. But him, as far as like screen time uh, or page time, he gets pretty pretty little s- still. It's kind of the, the Jimmy slash Snowman show. Um, but kind of getting back into what we were talking about earlier with that sort of distinction between what's real and what's um, an image or this or that, Jimmy remembers seeing Oryx's eyes when she was this little girl on like this like show that they were watching when they were kids. And and he, like, felt like he was being sort of accosted or, um, you know, she's looking out at him. So it was the first time that that sort of screen-based relationship was was bridged a little bit. Hmm. And and so I don't know. I mean, maybe that's that's really interesting because we really, we really don't get a lot of her kind of personality and what she's all about. It, it's almost – it almost just all goes back to Jimmy remembers her being real – when everything else seems to be sort of slightly less than real. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's why he still has his infatuation or what, because we don't really, we don't really find out like mm-hmm. what, what the sort of, you know, the fullness of their relationship was. So I don't know if that's, and this just kind of ties those two things together a little mm-hmm. bit, but, but yeah, I agree. It was, it was definitely the Jimmy snowman show and she absolutely nailed the prepubescent <clears throat> male mind. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, which is wild. I mean, because that's the thing, and 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 what you're saying about just kind of remembering an image of a of a man just taking somebody at kind of a surface, but this kind of like idealized, like I mean, that's how you make something not real, right there. Though I think is it's more of like a your own like mental process. I mean, so I'm imagining like Mallory. I oh, I about said first name last name. That'd be weird, uh, just in case. Uh, <laughs> You know, a crush from about the third grade, let's say, and uh, we'll say that. Yeah, first name Mallory, but you know, in my remembering of that, um, it's 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 so like surficial at this point. You know, it's so much like, oh yeah, I'm nine, you're nine, this is cool. Um, Like, but that's you know, like that's that's all that I got. It's it's totally reducing this person. Um, to, to just like nothing, right? I mean, to, to get a complete, like just class picture kind of memory, not like a, um, any, any kind of like thing beyond that. And I think that like that is, is the other way that you make something like if you're, if something's not real, it's maybe more because of that, like reducing someone to that rather than the other way. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. Which is something. interesting, too, because Jimmy continually asked her questions about her life and where she was from and what she had been through. And she again and again puts up walls um, in a way like she is the one that's responsible for maintaining that distance between the two of them um, because he tries. He tries to have these conversations to kind of 
to break down whatever barriers are there so that he can have some kind of a relationship with a human being. Because at this point in his life, he doesn't have a relationship with another human being. You know, Hmm. he's really hit rock bottom. He is uh, suffering from alcohol abuse as well as many other drugs. And he's trying to find some kind of meaning and he's reaching out to her and she she's not having it. You know, she's she's shying away from it. And not only that, she's, I think, doing kind of a similar thing with Craig at the same time. And she is really we, we don't know for certain, but it seems like that the fact that she won't let either of them get attached or break through um, kind of results in the ultimate demise of the entire planet. I mean, that's really how everything falls apart in the end. Who knows if that's what Craig was planning all along or if it's, you know, something that built up once he found out about Jimmy and Craig, but oh, Jimmy and Oh, man. Okay. Um, that's super interesting because um, there were a couple other books that I was thinking about in this. One, which I'm going to talk about a lot later, is Sirens of Titan. But uh, what you were just saying reminds me that there was a minute where I was thinking about Ender's Game just just because of, like, the gameplay and, like, thinking that the thing is, in that case, totally virtual when, in fact, it was actual. Um, Mm -hmm. They were actually destroying the the Formics Formics. as we know them now. That's Um, right. We've met the Formics. We've met them. And we've met them. We've met the sequel. Um, Absolutely. Uh, but um, in that, and I, I know I said this on both Ender's Game podcasts, but the line in there, like the, I think the the one like uh, heartfelt scene in the movie, and one of the things I liked in the book was this line about with Ender, what essentially motivated him, and it's complicated, but uh, to like save Earth in that case was the voice of a single girl, his sister, in that case, Valentine. And so it was like, sort of like, for the love of this one girl, like, that's worth saving humanity. And so if if what you're speculating, which I think is super interesting and possible, is that, like, for, for like, the disaffection, like, you wipe it out, um, you know some some really interesting similarities there, but in but in both cases, like it it reduces all like an entire species, like all of humanity, down to like a one to one person to person relationship, which is not inaccurate. Well, I mean, you can you can you know know another person, but you can't know humanity. One of the problems with both of those stories is that when it comes down to it the female character, the one girl that's whether she's showing affection or she's not showing affection, she's not the actor. She's the one like being acted on or causing a reaction. She's still a prop in either situation, whether she's the one causing the demise or she's the one saving the world. In either way, she's there to have an effect on the man. She's not the one that's that's acting in any way. And so the the fact, and I think that's maybe one of the reasons that this book was so hard for me to read um, imagining that it was written by a female Earth author was that, again, we're seeing the same story that comes up time and time again in different ways. Uh, but it's always there's always any female character that's of importance is still just there to serve a role in the story. She's not a real actor. She's not a real participant 
in um, in the events. So that's that's the frustrating part, I think. Boom! She just kicked over the mic stand and walked out of here. Hell yeah! <laughs> See ya. So you can come back. You can come back. You can come back. Oh yeah, get back, get back in here. Oh okay, Where I didn't know going? if my five days were almost up or not. Well, we haven't seen you for. The previous however many days you've been here, so you, I don't know. It yeah. seems like it probably Started should start as of fifteen minutes ago. <laughs> so yeah, you're you're good for at least five more days, I would say. And while you're here, you can always find Dyson. Search for Dyson. Continues. Search for Dyson continues. <laughs> Slime trail has run cold. Oh, I also think it's about that time for the. Uh... That segment y'all are gonna do. I heard. I heard you. I was spying earlier. While I was oh yeah, your favorite there. one. Yeah, uh, I thought it was brilliant. Seeing as how you know that really, it, it's the part of the book. But coming up with your favorite combined genetic animal. Thank species, you. I thought yes. that, was, that was a great idea. So I was looking forward to that. Okay. Uh, should we should we sing the theme song to that segment that we practiced before this? Yeah, y'all sounded great. absolutely okay. That looks like a mouse. And that looks like a duck. It's a mouse duck. duck. (laughs) That looks like a turtle. That looks like a fox. It's a wacky walking fox. (laughs) That looks like a platypus. That looks like a frog. That stings like a bee. And wags like a dog. <laughs> it's a platypus froggy. froggy dog. Doop a doop. Welcome back to your. Uh, wait a minute, Ray, do you want to host this one? Um. Well, yeah, I guess I watched y'all do it earlier, so it should, okay. shouldn't be that difficult. Um, <laughs> Nothing we do great. is. So, first, first, uh, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here today. Um, as we always do on this show, it's time to tell me your most valuable genetic animal mutation being. And we're going to go counterclockwise just to mix things up a little bit. I have, I have a clarifying question. Crazy. Those are not allowed. Great. Um, obviously, the best—I mean, the most valuable genetic mutation animal—is a uh, spider combined with. I thought it was just a spider. <laughs> <laughs> a spider combined with two. Worms. That's so many legs. What do you? What do you go? <laughs> Wait, I mean, how, I mean, three worms. We. How are they all attached? It's a spider combined with three worms, it's, and they. So it's basically, it's less of a splice and more of just com, like you know throwing all those things into a blender and making sure all of them come out with two legs each. So you have three worms that now have two legs and they walk upright. <laughs> And one spider that just kind of like drags its, the rest of its body and thorax along the ground with its sort of four legs. That sounds terrifying. Four legs, F-O-R-E, not F-O-U-R, mm. to clarify. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's less of a splice and more of a let's cut off three, let's cut off six legs from this spider and put 
a pair on three worms. <laughs> um, do, does that have a name? Is there a name for that? Uh, it's squirm. That's that's lovely. Or squirms. It is a squirm. Well, so far that is the best idea we've heard on the show today. Um, but it's not over. It's it's not over till it's over, and it's not clarifying over. question. Those are not allowed. Okay, great. So we're moving on. Um, oh, oh me. Uh, okay, um, the most valuable is the one where you take for a, a dolphin. And, um, good start. Where's he going to go with it? Uh, and it's, it's spliced with a bat, a bat. It's called a dat. (laughs) They just got rid of most of the dolphin part. It's mostly just, um, if you can imagine like, um, the, the good parts of the dolphin, um, with wings, though. So does it have really good hearing? I mean, like echolocation and also sonar bats? I mean, it's got to have this insane hearing, right? Oh, good point. As everyone knows, that's what they have. Yeah, that sounds really beneficial to mankind or whatever, whoever's creating her. It's Yeah, so our winner of the show is bat dolphin <laughs> and that that's all we have to, for today's show but please join us next week where we will be discussing the creepiest splices in history Ooh. So, let's go to our exit music that looks like an ant <laughs> that looks like oh, another duck <laughs> it's another <laughs> ant duck <laughs> That looks like a raisin. That looks like a California raisin. It's a California, California raisin. raisin. That looks like an anteater. That looks like a duck-billed platypus. It's an, an anteater that has a duck bill like a platypus. Animal splices. splices. I'm glad you brought that up. I that was actually a segment I was uh, I was looking forward to and, and just forgot that we were going to do. It's excellent. Thank you, and congratulations you again. With the idea, it was. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we've never had. Well, have we ever had a uh, a guest host something? Just as... um, I mean, there's Adam's movie corner. Adam's movie corner. That's but right. He's practically you know he's welcome here anytime now. That's right. Well, to be fair, I have been here for a week, so I'm not necessarily a guest anymore. Oh, what, what are the what's the distinction between a guest and not a guest on Ingle Nook? Um, we don't have guests on Ingle Nook. What do you call somebody who's been in a stranger's pod for seven days? Smelly. Well, it's a good thing I don't I don't have nostrils in this particular body. I so I actually I can't smell. I, actually, in this on the pod. Actually, in this body, when I got this one, I just got rid of all the extraneous senses. So, 
Actually, what, so I got rid of smelling. So I can still what are the I can still touch, taste, hear, speak. Is that sing? Sing. Oh, and I got rid of um, the sixth sense. So I don't know if people Good. are ghosts or not. Great. Yeah, that's pretty pretty important. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things which got a bunch of their senses and shit removed. It's time for your Axe to Grind. Uh, On this week's Axe to Grind, I got problems with, and I know they're our new sponsor, Chicky Knobs. That's right, Universe. You heard it here first. Bold statement. Uh, Mostly just like the description of them. It seems really gross. Um, They also have, don't, I mean, they have no legs, there's kind of a weird plant hybrid, which the leaves are chicken breasts, it seems like. And don't get me wrong, they are delicious. Uh, I think I'm going to audiobook this. Yep, here we go. Audiobook. Picture this sea and enemy body plan, said Craig. That helps. But what's it thinking, said Jimmy. The woman gave her jocular woodpecker yodel and explained that they'd removed all the brain functions and had nothing to do with digestion that that had nothing to do with digestion, assimilation, and growth. It's sort of like a chicken hookworm, said Craig. End of audiobook. Dreadful. Disgusting. Doesn't it make it easier for humans to eat them in a way? I mean, you take out all the brain function. You don't feel as guilty. You know, broccoli. I don't feel bad eating broccoli, but sometimes I do feel bad eating a burger. So we didn't take their souls. Exactly. Um, yes, I could get behind your PETA points because we use, well, we use a different logic to... Oh, uh, I thought you meant like PETA bread. I get behind bread. some yeah, chicken knobs on PETA bread. <laughs> the clipped ends of your PETA bread. Um, the points that you've taken from the uh, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals handbook, I appreciate them. We rationalize seven worms for Dyson uh, a different way, but that also sort of subverts the PETA handbook. Uh, worms are just dumb. The thing still ain't got two legs, and it's gross looking. So <laughs> oh. that is this week's Axe to Grind. Chicken hookworm. Dreadful. I'm not. I'm really hungry. I haven't eaten in seven days. Why do you eat some of those worms for Dyson? I'm just lying there. Because it's Dyson. I'm not going to eat his worms. Well, you know, why do, why do people care so goddamn much about Dyson? I know. I you know, name on last, last episode, too, I, I feel like we noticed that um, that the worms were going down and uh, someone had been eating them, but apparently it wasn't Dyson. Huh. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Did you, I don't know if you caught that breath, though. I, she mm-hmm. kind of muttered it under her breath, but she said that she has a tattoo of Dyson. Yeah? Everybody on Inglenook has a tattoo of Dyson. He's kind of a big deal. Is it like a life-size tattoo where, you know, like a whole body tattoo of him, but just on a body? That'd be pretty neat yes, is what I'm saying. But it's behind my earlobe, though. I have a really big ear. Wow. What's he, hey, wait, what's he doing? What's he doing in that tattoo? Obviously, eating worms. That's what he loves to do. That's what he lives for. I was hoping he could sign it, uh, but, you know, I haven't seen him since I've been here. That's why you're carrying around that tattoo needle pen? Yeah. 
All right, where were we? Well, a couple of things. I mean, one, I think we should actually talk about the Kragers and who and what they are. Um, sure. But also, I, I do want to talk a little bit, and I don't know if this is the time for it now or not. I guess it doesn't matter. There's not really a time for anything on here. This book, I guess I said that it did remind me a little bit of Ender's so, Game. Sorry, just one second. There is a time for one thing. And oh, yeah? Always. Well, not right now, but there's always... Um, you know, time to spoil the book and read the last page as soon as possible. So right. that's kind of the one consistent time-based thing that goes on on the pod. Otherwise, sorry, go ahead, continue. Oh, just just to say, so like there was Ender's Game that like it it reminded me of marginally, but um, the Sirens of Titan I kept thinking about a lot, partly because that's another book that I really liked, but also because, well, multiple things. One, the chronology of the narrative where you know people had different names over the course of the narrative and so like they changed roles throughout i felt like we had a little bit more sense of that in this one than in sirens of titan but but two things in particular that i had called out in my notes for that there was there was the line right after uh and as you were saying there's a time to spoil the book so after orcs and craig are both dead on the ground and jimmy looks down at them he looks down at Orcs and Craig dead on the ground. He says, um, here's Snowman staring down at his one true love and his best friend in all the world. And um, there's these lines towards the end of the Sirens of Titan where um, Constant, whatever his name is at that point. Malachi. Malachi Constant um, is being shamed by Rumsford and is being asked to say, like, well, oh, oh, yeah. So, so Malachi Constant is remembering his friend Stony Stevenson and saying, "I had a friend once." Um, and Rumford's like, "Just one." And he's like, "Yeah, just one." Um, but then, in the Sirens of Titan audiobook, just one said Constant, his poor soul was flooded with pleasure as he realized that one friend was all that a man needed in order to be well supplied with friendship. And um, so, there's just a similar moment where it was like. Got one friend in all the world, and uh, and and in both cases, uh, they dead. But but it's a it's a kind of a nice sentiment, right? Um, the other one then at the very end of Orcs and Crake, when Snowman has made it back to where the Crakers are, and he's waking up in his tree where he sleeps. Very very similar line where he's looking out over the trees and saying, "Audiobook." On the eastern horizon, there's a grayish haze lit now with a rosy, deadly glow. Strange how that color still seems tender. He gazes at it with rapture. There's no other word for it. Rapture. The heart seized, carried away as if by some large bird of prey. After everything that's happened, how can the world still be so beautiful? Because it is. And then there's a very similar scene in um, The Sirens of Titan when Malachi Constant is in that spaceship that Rumsford has made him get into and he's going to shoot him off to Titan and he's sitting there by himself in this like homemade spaceship or whatever and and looking out and it says audiobook his eyes saw a larger more comforting sermon in the panorama of town bay and island so far below the sermon of the panorama was that even a man without a friend in the universe could still find his home planet mysteriously, heartbreakingly beautiful. End quote. And so in both of those, 
you know, I, I had really loved that scene in the Sirens of Titan, um, where it's like, yeah, all this terrible stuff that's happened to Malachi Constant. And we find out at that point that Rumsford has been manipulating the whole thing. Um, but at, at the end, he's sitting there and looking out over the scenery or whatever. And, and it's like staggeringly beautiful, right? And, and similar, very similar scene in here where even after like, uh, humans might all be dead except for Snowman. Um, but like, it's like tragically beautiful. So anyway, mm-hmm. it reminded me yeah, of Sirens I mean, of Titan. This is the boring nice. segment. <laughs> oh yeah. This is, I think we actually called this like bore our guests to tears or something in previous. I think yeah. that's the one. Yep. There we go. Um, yeah. I mean, just kind of continuing that line of thought, um, I mean, I feel like uh, Rumsford in The Sirens of Titan uh, is fairly similar to Crake in this one where he is really pulling the strings and puts, you know, the main character kind of through pretty tumultuous situations. But um, in Sirens of Titan, we find out that it wasn't even really um, Rumsford that was at the helm of what he was doing at all. Um, So there was kind of another level of... Uh, sort of bureaucracy or overview that was going on. Um, and maybe, you know, since this is a trilogy, maybe we'll find out later that's the case in, in this universe because we never really find out again what Craig is sort of up to, why he's doing this specifically. But yeah, I mean, there's kind of this really sort of central character, you know, not not the central character, but kind of the next one down that that's shaping things a certain way who has... Uh, and mysterious drives mm-hmm. in both of those books as well. But man, and that one too, now that I'm thinking about it, you know, like, and here's maybe the irony a little bit of this is that one of the reasons I wanted to read this book was because I was like, man, we got to read some women authors. And um, so, Ray, the fact that, like, that feedback, which I think is totally valid, you know, that Sirens of Titan, which is a book I adore, um, Beatrice in it. Not a lot of agency either. Um, you know, there's this Malachi constant, and there's this Rumsford, and they're like going at each other again. Um, and and Beatrice, meanwhile, is is sort of a uh, third party to it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you were talking about earlier about how they both came down to sort of being a one to one ratio, and mm-hmm. that's where so much strife and um, that's where all the issues kind of stem from is that it's always a one to one ratio. Um, or, you know, in a lot of books, it's a one-to-one ratio. And I think we see that here, too, um, even with just how the way Craig is designing the um, Craigers, yeah. where he's taking out uh, the the one-to-one ratio in a way and taking out that choice in a way to try to avoid conflict. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's why that story comes up time and time and again, whether it's a male Earth author or a female Earth author, is because that's that's really where most of the conflict, um, at least conflict that's fun to write about and read about comes from is, is the, the one-to-one, the lack of, uh, resources, I guess, in, in a way, but yeah, I mean, we could talk a little bit about the Quakers and, um, how they were designed very specifically, uh, to kind of avoid conflict and to live a long time. Well, yeah, I mean, you started talking about that. And that's, again, that's an interesting way to think about them. It's like you you take out that, like, person-to-person uh, dynamic, essentially. I mean, they, they interact with each other. But if if you remove the, like, one-to-one ratio of people, like, like, is that what it takes for people to 
be, I think, docile is the word that's used in here. Like, is that how you remove conflict is for, like, the Krakers, like, if they just are all in love with, like, humanity, you know, vicious air quotes, like, in general, Kraker entity, like, whatever. Um, Like, is that how you survive as a species is to not have truly, like, interpersonal relationship? I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's funny, though, because that's how we talked about it earlier. That's how the whole thing at least um, the destruction gets started is that Jimmy and Craig don't have that kind of relationship with another person Hmm. um, because they never really are very real with each other. They never let um, even between the two of them, they don't develop a very deep relationship. It's always kind of a competitive um, relationship where they talk about things, but they're never really getting past that surface level. And so the whole thing kind of starts because of a lack of that relationship. And so Mm. it's almost like Craig's coming, coming at this all wrong. Mm. Um, I'm thinking about the way that he, he designed the Krakers to change their, um, their mating ritual, uh, so to speak, so that they never pair off in any way, but that kind of prevents them from developing really deep interpersonal relationships and, we don't know that, you know, we, we haven't even been around long enough to see one of them pass away or die. So we don't know kind of what comes next. But it's it's just interesting that that's the the path Craig chose to take when he was engineering this group of individuals. Yeah. That's so fun. those uh, those Krakers, I, I, well, there are the two things. There was the, the pill that was developed, first of all, that was being given out like worldwide. And with that, the benefits of that pill were one, no STDs just at all. Uh, two, unlimited sex drive and just a feeling of well-being. And three was prolonging youth, uh, just as, just kind of as you described. Um, oh, and also uh, it acted as birth control, uh, which I can't remember if that was, like, stated or not. But um, And so, yeah, like, it was then very similar with the Krakers, which we haven't really described, but they're a, a created species that Krake made basically and and i think like even even broader is like so then who who decides like who decides what that is and you know who obviously who has power who who decides what's best for humanity who you know who gets to make that choice um i don't know yeah i do think it's interesting because i mean one of the big not really a trope but i mean kind of the the circumstances or the the action that drives the story forward or at least, or even a lot of times just starts a story at all is has to do with um, kind of this person to person relationship, you know, like in Ender's game, you know, if he decided to not continue fighting um, and because he didn't hear Valentine's voice, mm-hmm. uh, he didn't have the personal relationship to give his actions meaning, then the book would just be over. And as we found out in that book, um, the uh, the alien race, the Formics or the Buggers, weren't coming back. So, you know, nothing would have happened ostensibly in the, in that book. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could probably say the same thing for a lot of the other books. So, it, once you take away the um, that sort of one to one, human to human, or Craker to Craker, um, or Bugger to Bugger, whatever relationship, away. Um, there's not really any story left to tell, at least as far as we understand being people who being beings who do um, sort of understand life that way through that lens. 
because uh, even, I mean, like Craig, uh, he just never had that personal relationship. So maybe that's why he wanted to get rid of it. Maybe he's just kind of a disgruntled, uh, you know, he's a genius, but people ignore him because for whatever reasons, maybe he just had no fulfilling relationships and that's why he wanted to do away with the whole thing. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Ray here made a good point when she said I mean, that that really does kind of drive the action um, there, you know, Oryx being in this sort of weird love triangle does make that bug go forward too. So, yeah, well, it's interesting. What would what would a real nice bugger to bugger story be? Um, should we give more um, background story to meet the Formix? Yeah, maybe so. So, so Ben's the Ben Stiller bugger um, falls in love with a, a bugger that. For, you know, he's, he, she's way she's way above him. She has a great job, mm-hmm. and she, um, I don't know, she's just really doing something for herself. And he's he's not quite the the buggeriest bugger in the world. Yeah, he gets and, all the uh, all the all the buggers in his class though to make a sign uh, mm-hmm. to, to hold up across the street from from her bugger work. Absolutely, and, and then it just and, works. Uh, yeah, and they become a bugger couple, and it's and then great. He has to go meet. Uh, the bugger father, and he's mm. obviously a real—he's a real buggers bugger, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, and old Ben Stiller bugger just can't real bugger match, hole can't match up. That's right, uh, and Ben Stiller bugger just—you know—he just can't match up. He just can't get along with this guy no matter what. But he really loves his bugger daughter, and they figure it out at the end. That was just bug on beautiful. Be, be beyond bug beyond. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think that's it. Did our best. That, that was like that was like the the indie film that the Meet the Formix then was like the big space Hollywood version of it. You know, like the Bugger film, which is like a real low key, like interesting look at the the life of normal buggers. And then Meet the For Formix sure. was the space Hollywood blockbuster that we know and love. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty big into those indie bugger flicks, but that's just me. I have I have a one board. Well, I have a couple of big things I, w- I would like to say something about. I would be remiss if I didn't because two different things. At the very beginning, one of the first like thematic things I start started to think was really interesting was early on. Snowman is essentially starting to tell this like creation story to the Krakers about like here's where you come from. Here's this like. Really, it is a creation story. You know, Craig made you, Orcs made the plants and animals, and then and then there's just these other things that happen. Oh, he explains toast. That was one of those where it's like you can't explain the word without explaining then all the definitions for the word. But then he talks about when he's explained to them and trying to trying to explain the deeds of Craig. The narrative, well, or Snowman's internal monologue says. God of bullshit, fail me not. And so, like, there's this, just this other, like, nice reference to, like, a, a God narrative. Um, but in this case, it's the God of bullshit that um, invents this mythology for these, um, for the Krakers. But so, all throughout the narrative, there's these references to language itself. And I'm sure for Margaret Atwood as a writer, you know, as an author, um, yeah, it's it's great if language can save the world. So, Cool. Um, but I, I did think that this idea of like myth building 
um, really making a culture from the ground up as snowman has to do with the Krakers. And then, and then this whole idea that um, the things of like old earth that are destroyed in this, in this story, they, they don't exist anymore because there's no one to give them meaning. I think there's even example of like the statue of Liberty, the Eiffel tower, all these famous things from old earth. But I think the line is something like if, if there's no one to, to dream those things anymore, then they just cease to exist. And so Snowman's role in, like, salvaging some kind of, of, of myth, of narrative, of culture, really, out of mm-hmm. what, you know? Um, super interesting. Yeah, there's a very, like, very early on in the book, um, the, the Craker children are just finding stuff washed up on shore, basically. And they're asking Snowman what, what they are. And I think he just says, oh, they're nothing. But I think it's described as they're just like, you know, kind of everyday stuff uh, that, that also, you know, when humans were around served, you know, a very specific function, each one of them probably did. But outside of that sort of cultural context, they, yeah, they're just as meaningless as sort of anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I did think that that was kind of an interesting little point as well. Um, I had... So one other thing I was going to mention on that point, and it is escaping me. So, well, never mind. If you're, while you while you maybe think about it for just a second, I, I mean, there was one other thing where where you know Snowman's like off by himself, and, and it's, it's very similar, but he's like he's wanting someone to basically to like to spin his tail to, or maybe when it's when he thinks that there's some other humans still around, it's like, well, should I? you know, just frankly go tell them my story. And in that way, like, I don't know, prove that I exist or, or, or what, like, how do you interact with humans? If you haven't seen humans forever, um, if you think you're the only one, but now there might be others, you know, what, what do you do? Is it, is it as simple as just telling a story to say like, yeah, this is, this is me. But mm-hmm. at the same time, if there's nothing else left, like you're also, essentially inventing a new world. I don't know. It's an interesting theme throughout. For sure. I mean, just as a way to tie all of that sort of inside the book stuff with what other things we've talked about. Um, I don't know if nobody's there to like tell the story from your perspective or to tell your story, you really don't have agency. So like this book, for instance, would be way different. I'm sure from Oryx's perspective. Yes. But if you, I mean, if you're not around to kind of have the last word that, or have nobody to talk to, to tell the story, then it doesn't get written down. It doesn't become, you know, it doesn't become anything. Um, I remember what I was going to say before too, which I know you mentioned this earlier, but I I really liked how uh, when Jimmy was away and thinking, Oh, you know, if I don't come back, cause he had a, um, he was getting an infection in his foot or something. If I don't make it back, um, you know, they'll have really good stories about me. You know, they'll mm-hmm. start talking about me and then I'll be part of their mythology in the same way that Orcs and Craig both are at, the, yeah. at that time. So, so yeah, it really is about, you know, well, one of the main themes for sure is like, what does human culture mean after human culture is gone? Mm-hmm. Or if anything. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that question of like, who has agency? I mean, again, yeah. Who, who creates reality? Who, like who has the power? I mean, who gets to decide who's left, who just has agency to tell their own story? How, I mean, you know, all this stuff, how are mythologies created? 
who creates a canon, you know, um, mm-hmm. I think that's all super interesting. And I'm sure, sure it will be solved in the next two books. Yay. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, this was, this, was, this was a good one, but we'll get into rating systems in a second, right after this week's Listener Challenge. Uh, hi, welcome to the Listener Challenge. As always, I will have a question about this book, and all you listeners out there, if you can prove me wrong, then you will win a lovely prize package from Karellen's Sweet Tea. It's the sweetest tea in the galaxy. Sip. And we're back. Uh, so this week's Listener Challenge, um, Galaxy, let me know. After how many deranged years... Did Jimmy graduate from Martha Graham with his dingy little degree in problematics? Uh, the correct answer is four. So if you can, in some way or another, prove me wrong and uh, say that prove to me that Jimmy graduated in fewer or more years than that, you will win a uh, delicious uh, and sweet prize package from Carolyn Sweet Tea, sweetest tea in the galaxy. Sip. And we're back. Ray, I feel like, I mean, you know, if you would have, like, defeated a listener challenge, that would have been, like, a, that would have been, like, a year-long, like, all-expenses-paid vacation on this pod. Um, I've, tri- I've tried several times, but it's it's just never happened. It's not possible. No, I, instead, I had to drink a lot of sweet tea. Had to or got to? Because I don't know if you knew this, but Carillon's sweet tea is the sweetest tea in the galaxy. Sip. And we're back. I hate to break your heart, but... Don't break my heart. Don't go breaking my heart. It might be the best sweet tea in this galaxy, but if you've ever had some sweet tea from other galaxies, it kind of puts this galaxy to shame. Well, all I'm I'm doing is reading the the tagline that was given to me, uh, and it is the sweetest tagline... In the galaxy. Sip. Uh, all right. I think it's... Is it is it that time? Uh, you got you to close out this segment before we can... Oh. We, um, we never get into another segment while we're still in one segment. So we have never done it, and we're not going to start now. So thanks, universe. Call in. Fax. Email. Uh, uh, put, put it... Uh, snail dog mail for Splicing really? Animals still. For sure. Uh, uh, Snog mail. Whale... Uh, goblin. I can't remember what I call, I can't remember what I called my spider worm squir- squirm 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 mail. Squirm mail. It's great. Uh, hide it in there with all of the fan letters that come to Dyson. Yeah. Whatever you got to do, just get it here, and we'll take a look at it and then immediately throw it away because you can't win. All right, that's that was this week's listener challenge. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, now now is it that time for? Take a, Take a look. look. It's, it's in, in a book. book. Rating systems. Uh, hi, universe. Welcome to Rating Systems. I'm your host, John Love, and with me as always, Brent Aldrich. Hi, Brent. Hi, John. Uh, we have a guest on Rating Systems this week. Uh, name is Ray from Inglenook. Hi, Ray. Hi, John. All right, so it's that time for us all to rate this book. Uh, I'm going to start counterclockwise. 
And yeah, you guys know what to do. So give your best rating of Oryx and Crake. I'm going to go with a dozen Crakers. Out of? Two dozen Crakers. That's that's quite quite the rating. Uh, now, Brent? Um, you know what? Um, as I said, at, at the at the top of the pod, I did really love this book. Um, I'm going to give it top five. Uh, yeah, I really like this book as well. It had high points and low points and points all along the spectrum. So for that reason, I'm going to give it 1.91 legs out of two. Uh, and that's how we play rating systems. Thanks, universe, for listening. Take a look. It's in a book. Rating, rating systems. Well, uh, I guess that's about all we have to do on the pod. Um, Ray, I guess you've got about four days and 23 hours left on here where uh, it's um, you're in that executive suite on the pod. Um, I've never been there, but... Uh, this old beat sleeping on the kitchen floor, that's for sure. So that's Is that where you had been sleeping? Yes. Y'all don't go in there very often, do you? you know, all, all that I know that's eaten on the pod is worms. That's always by Dyson. So, yeah, I don't know. It was just kept in the worm farm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I have a lot of coffee and space beer, but that's mostly what I get by on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited. Hopefully, maybe you'll do another podcast before I have to go back. Yes. Maybe at the end of the week or something. We'll see. That'd be terrific. And 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 truly, if we get to the other two in this trilogy, uh, you know, you're welcome back. Or if you I happen to that offer, if you win another contest, or if you prove a uh, what the hell is your segment? Uh, you know, your segment. Oh, my segment that I do every week and haven't missed a single week? Yeah, that one. That's the listener challenge. Yeah, if you get a listener challenge, if you prove one of those correct, you know. Well, we'll have to talk to Carell, the people at Carell and Sweet Tea as we see in Galaxy Sip uh, about that. But And we're back. We'll see. And we're back. Yeah, but uh, uh, otherwise, uh, we only have one more tradition here on the pod. And it's wrapping it out. Yo, 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 orcs and crake might be a snake. Uh, do yep, 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 yep. Crakers, don't be haters. Turn blue when we see you. We're a new species. Yep, yep. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Please excuse Are you listening for... Mix those animals. Snail that. Yep.
Yep. I believe she said snail bat. Imagine that wearing a snail hat. Imagine that hitting nails with a hammer. And a cat. Yep. Yep. Snowman. Talking about, I'm going to grow, fam. I'm getting bigger. I'm eating liver off my chicky knobs. I'm drinking gravy from a slicky mob. That's a real thing in the future, believe me. (laughs) See you later. Bye. Bye. (laughs)